0: Hello, and welcome to A Smart Financial Plan, where we interview the best and brightest in financial planning research on their studies and the best practices financial planners can use with their clients. Today, we're interviewing Dr. Derek Tharp, a professor at the University of Southern Maine and lead researcher with Kitsis.com, on his research into Big Five personality traits and financial satisfaction among older adults and retirees. You've probably read some of his work already or benefited from something derived from it, as Dr. Tharp is quickly becoming one of the most prolific authors in high-quality financial planning research, and this interview is no exception. I hope you enjoy. Uh, well, Dr. Tharp, thank you for being on the program today. Uh, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself?
1: Sure. Thank you for having me. Um, I'm, my name is Derek Tharp. I'm a professor of finance at the University of Southern Maine. Um, I also work uh, in various capacities with uh, other industry organizations. Um, I'm a, the lead researcher at Kitsis.com. My um, work is a am uh, a senior advisor to Income Lab, which is a, a new uh, financial planning technology company. And then I also have my own RIA uh, where I serve uh, financial planning co- uh, clients.
0: So just just a couple projects, you know, a full just a couple full time jobs. <laughs> uh, well, terrific. Uh, can you just tell us a little bit about your uh, your research? Uh, what it was called, and and just succinctly, because we'll get into the details. What was it about?
1: Sure. Yeah. So this particular paper um, was titled "Big Five Personality Traits, Dispositional Affect, and Financial Satisfaction Among Older Adults," and it was published in uh, Personality and Individual Differences. Which is a psychology journal, and what, what I was really looking at um, with my co-authors in this paper was, uh, you know, does personality, do personality traits influence our um, our assessment of our financial well-being, or how satisfied we are with our financial situation? And the motivation for this really came from uh, sitting down. Uh, this was actually part of my dissertation. Uh, but sitting down looking at some research in other fields and seeing that um, oftentimes different life satisfaction, other subjective well being measures, what actually predicts those the most is, um, or one of the strongest predictors is personality. And then I came back and looked at what had been done in the financial satisfaction literature, and we really didn't have much that looked at that. So, um, you know, really wanted to dig in and explore, uh, particularly if it was um, one of the more important predictors of financial satisfaction, see if, if that same relationship was true in this context.
0: Sure. So, I mean, you, you sort of answered the next question for me a little bit, but I'm curious because you're, you're a fairly prolific writer. I, I don't think a week or two goes by without something new that you've published. So what made this a priority for you? Why did you want to research this particular topic?
1: Hmm. It's hard to get back into my uh, my graduate school mindset and where I was. I mean, there's there's the realistic or just kind of practical component of it where um, what I was working with was I wanted to do something with the HRS data set, the health and retirement study uh, data set. And within there, there was a very nice psychosocial uh, questionnaire. So um, on the very practical side, you know, I was kind of operating within those confines and that it, to some extent led me to a research question by seeing what was in there but then um, you know I didn't actually land on that and that wasn't actually the direction I was initially going to go. Um, it was reading other literature um, from other other areas where I came across this relationship between personality and subjective well-being and realized, oh hey we, those variables are in there we have the uh, big five personality traits, have some other related psychological um, measures like trait affect. And so um, just seemed like a good opportunity uh, to be able to really, especially for a dis- dissertation, um, it was a nice fit because I could do a deep enough lit review and motivation. And some of my other research, particularly on uh, more financial planning specific uh, topics, can sometimes be hard just because there's very little research out there to support it. You really have to borrow heavily from maybe theories or other fields, but sometimes it's just a little hard to build up that real dissertation-esque lit review. Um, and this, this was a good fit for that. So really it was a combination um, of all those uh, components, but overall I, I found it to be a really interesting project.
0: Sure. So, I mean, you mentioned that there was kind of related research or prior research in the area, but what what was missing? What was the gap you were noticing in the literature?
1: Mm -hmm. So I think the big gap was just personality in general being put into the model. So um, Jew and Grable, 2004, is kind of the go-to financial satisfaction model citation. And they look at all sorts of different factors and they hypothesize about some things that might be related as well that they didn't uh, look at in their particular paper. But um, the within that model, um, there there was no personality. So the personality traits were not something that, that was in there, even though you could think of them as being very related to some ideas they brought up. Um, and then, you know, just seeing the disconnect between you know, those models, there was, there is one other paper that had looked at personality and financial satisfaction, which had some, uh, quite significant limitations in, in my opinion, but, um, otherwise there really wasn't anything there. So just wanted to, um, kind of bridge those gaps. And I think that's, that's how I approach a lot of my research is just to look and see, you know, like, here's a, here's a good idea from this other field. Has it been applied? in a financial planning context, or personal finance context, and pull that over um, and use that tool and just kind of uh, bridge some gaps. And then I guess on the, the more theoretical side, um, the, the interesting component, when you look at how um, like life satisfaction or happiness research evolved over time, the initial thought was that things like somebody's life circumstances would really be the primary drivers to happiness or life satisfaction, um, so somebody's income, you know, their uh, relationships they have in their life, all those kind of components. And while that did okay, that, that explained some of the variation, um, it, it really wasn't explaining as much as people thought would. Um, and then some other researchers came at it and looked at it. So that's called kind of call that a bottom up perspective. Uh, other researchers came and looked at it, looked at it and said, well. You know, maybe this is all just more a component of our personality and some people are more inclined to say i'm happy or i'm satisfied with something and that's just a general kind of enduring thing about our own personality and um, so that's more of a top-down perspective and actually of the two the top-down perspective was doing a better job of predicting um, life satisfaction happiness uh, other related measures so um, now there's also kind of a, an integrative approach, which I think is the the best way to go and what's generally recommended now where you're trying to look at both those bottom up and the top down factors, it's not just one or the other. And that's really what we did um, in this paper was to look at things like somebody's income, home ownership, all the financial uh, characteristics that we, we thought we could put in there and would be relevant, but then also look at the role of personality uh, jointly, and I think that's um, that was overall the major kind of contribution to the paper was bringing together those two literatures
0: gotcha so i mean you're you're obviously approaching this from sort of what call it a traditional financial planning standpoint right so the the facts and the figures as it were. Uh, but there's also kind of a, a clear leading in sort of the financial therapy or financial psychology element by looking at behavior. So what were your, your major hypotheses going into this? Did you have any sort of uh, strong assumptions uh, from the outset?
1: So I think the, you know, where my focus really was in this project and hypotheses coming into it was really on the personality level. So um was really curious you know, particularly when you look at a model like big five traits, so openness to experience, conscientiousness, agreeableness, extroversion, and neuroticism, looking at those personality traits, um, in what ways were they related to financial satisfaction? And I think the, the strong, strongest hypothesis I had there was that generally extroversion is positively associated with um, subjective well-being assessment and usually neuroticism is negatively associated. So these are, at the same time, extroversion is generally uh, fairly strongly correlated with something like positive affect and neuroticism with negative affect. So, I mean, those were the kind of the obvious um, hypotheses, I think, and that's, at least in that area, that's where um, I was really focused. As far as the um, the relationships with, um, uh, general financial behaviors and uh, various outcome characteristics that I, it wasn't so much a focus of this paper. Um, everything, you know, that was in there from past models that we could put in, uh, we did put in there. So it wasn't really anticipating anything surprising there, but I think some areas, um, Looking at this personality dimension, one motivation there is that even in some of my own research, uh, I've come across some interesting findings before. And um, one of them, uh, for instance, from my research was that um, when you look at home ownership, actually uh, financial satisfaction was positively associated with having missed a mortgage payment, <laughs> Excuse me, having missed a mortgage payment within the past um, and I'm going to get the time frame wrong, but uh, past year I believe uh, so that was a very weird like what, what's going on here? why you'd think that shouldn't be something that's there and I, I have some some thoughts on what might be explaining that. but personality is one potential confounder that you know isn't included in those models that have looked at that. Um, And then you also see things like in the financial behavior side where um, when we look at like subjective and objective financial knowledge, uh, education, actually uh, higher levels of education tend to be associated with lower uh, satisfaction, at least in financial satisfaction. And so that stuff's kind of interesting. Um, I think that's not even so much personality. That's probably just more, subjective social standing and um, other things that's going on there. But um, it, it seems like we have a very incomplete picture still. And when we get some of these weird relationships that pop up and we don't know what's explaining them, part of the motivation is to go out, look for other things like personality that could be, uh, that could close some of that gap and help explain that.
0: Sure. So, yeah, we, you, go out there, you're, you're doing this study, or you're taking, taking the study in, but I guess, how did you get the the data you were looking for here? Um, how do you? you know, was there a national study or something like that that happened to have big five traits as well as the hard data, or did you have to go out and gather this uh, fresh?
1: Yep, so for for this paper, there's actually multiple studies within it, but for the, the core study, um, really looking at that relationship between uh, personality and financial satisfaction, after controlling, uh, for other relevant financial characteristics. Um, what we were using there was the health and retirement study. Uh, so a very nice longitudinal study of older Americans and, it, um, and it, it, uh, allowed us to, uh, do several different types of analyses, but the first and primary one was just to look at that you know, that regression of, we put in the, all of our independent variables, the financial characteristics, personality, and see how that predicts uh, financial satisfaction. So uh, using that secondary data set was really the um, the core of it. Uh, There's a second study in the same paper where um, we did go out to uh, Mechanical Turk, Amazon's Mechanical Turk, and do some additional uh, surveying for the purposes more of uh, psychometric validation because one issue with uh, the measures that are the psychosocial measures that are used in the big five is that they aren't like your standard sorry the, the psychosocial measures used within the hrs are not your standard measures that are used in personality research so it's not like your um, your, your BFI2 is probably the the current measure that's uh, most popular uh, uh, for
0: sorry for for the audience what is that
1: just a particular way, a particular set of questions uh, that you would use and a consistent survey to measure um, Big Five traits. And so that's, that's kind of the, um, the, the most popular one now. So that's the one um, that we actually used. And there, there's actually what's called the, the NeoPi R or the, the NeoPi or the NeoPi R, um, which is the more popular overall. It's been used um, probably more than any other Big Five measure but um it's there's copyright and um, it's expensive to use, and so the b f i two does not have that and is becoming the more dominant measure i think in large part just because it's freely available for for research use so um we used that uh, we we asked the h r s version of the uh, big five measures and then we asked the um, the uh, BFI two uh, of the same participants in the um, uh, in the Amazon Mechanical Turk sample, and then we were able to compare those and see, you know, do we actually see uh, do these appear to uh, be reasonable measures for use in academic research? And that's what we we did find. Uh, we did test. We did a few other tests too, things like test retest reliability, but we were able to do that. Just using the HRS, so kind of a secondary contribution to that paper was uh, providing some extra validation for the use of those personality uh, variables uh, with that are used specifically within the HRS. sure
0: so what were the findings what are what are the great takeaways of this uh, particular project
1: So um, nothing I would say overly surprising um, the the personality relationships that we particularly the ones that were anticipated. Uh, Big five, or uh, at the big five level, positive affect was positively associated with financial satisfaction. Negative affect was negatively associated. Sorry, that's the the affect level. Uh, At the big five level would have been extroversion was positively associated with financial satisfaction. Uh, Neuroticism was negatively associated with financial satisfaction. Um, And then interestingly, uh, agreeableness was negatively associated with financial satisfaction, which I think that might actually be the most, interesting finding from kind of a practical uh, standpoint and something we might want to talk about a little bit more. But um, we also looked at uh, taking the big five traits, but then looking at the big five traits with trait affect and trait trait positive affect and trait negative affect in the model. And then basically the relationship that was previously observed among extroversion and neuroticism shifted to that positive affect, negative affect, um, and really positive affect and negative affect were stronger predictors predictors of that um, financial satisfaction assessment. I think one thing that's important to note on that finding is that a lot of people, well, we didn't actually get this pushback from reviewers, but I was kind of anticipating that we might. I think one line of criticism could be that, well, those are all really just forms of well being, and we're just measuring well being, um, you know, as a we have, med- we have well-being as an independent variable and a dependent variable. And the difference, um, there is a distinction when you look at um, a measure like affect in how you ask the question, the question stem, are you asking in general, do you feel a certain way? Or are you asking right now in the moment, do you feel a way? And so um, the way the HRS question is posed, it's more on the uh, in general kind of trait affect side rather than an emotional current uh, feelings or a state affect. So uh, that uh, seeing that that sort of trait. And then that's carried over um, because of findings like that. I've used that in well-being research with financial advisors, um, uh, other well-being research, uh, looking at financial satisfaction where I have measures like that uh, affect type measure available.
0: So, I mean, just, just for our audience here, let's let's try to break down those, maybe those three major findings with, uh, you know, as far as neuroticism, agreeableness, et cetera. So if I'm a planning practitioner, how would I recognize the kind of, let's say, a high predominance of trait neuroticism or trait agreeableness uh, or, or extroversion within my client? How do I see that or recognize that?
1: And one thing in the psychological research is that people actually do tend to be pretty good uh or the correlations are pretty decent between somebody's self-assessment of their personality and other people's assessment of personality so i think to some extent um people would just have a pretty good intuitive sense you know is somebody more of an upbeat cheery you know open person like that's something you could probably uh, see or is somebody that um you know tends to be more of a glass half empty you know not not as much of a positive disposition. And of course, there's wide spectrum there. Uh, so it, it's hard to maybe pinpoint somebody precisely. But um, yeah, I think people do have a pretty good intuitive sense of uh, uh, somebody else's personality or just from from engaging with them, they, they can get a decent sense. Um, you know, I, I don't know if it would really change how I'm working with a client, like that, that I would know other than I just understand kind of their, perhaps their emotional baseline is a little bit different. Like it's, um, you know, just appreciating that people have different personalities that, um, if that's going to have certain consequences, uh, for them. But, um, you know, especially looking at the financial satisfaction assessment specifically, like that's a hard one in practice. I'm not, necessarily trying to assess how satisfied my clients are with their financials. I mean, I, I want them to be, I want to be um, doing good things for them and helping them out. But I guess I'm, I'm going to look at that from a very different lens and not be so caught up in kind of the, the uh, technical psychometrics of, of what's driving their, their satisfaction. I, I hope I'm helping them set up the conditions to you know, kind of thrive in all the other areas enough that whatever effect is there with personality doesn't matter at the end of the day because they're still accomplishing their goals if that makes any sense
0: sure i mean i I guess you know there's i think the agreeableness finding is maybe one of the most interesting as as you sort of identified as i think through it because it makes sense to me that if i see a client and they're worry prone and they call me a lot and they forward me articles from the news talking about the market all the time whenever it's negative but they never seem to send me a, a positive article you know i i might reasonably conclude that they're going to be harder to, you know, harder to to identify financial satisfaction and or life satisfaction in. and And, you know, somebody who's more happy-go-lucky and optimistic, I might naturally conclude that they're probably just going to be easier to satisfy. You know, in the case of agreeableness, I wonder if there's almost a, a con, conflict of interest is the wrong term, but fo- follow the theme, maybe just a conflict between a client being willing to be more agreeable, say yes to your suggestions, your recommendations, uh, and and the fact that they may come back then and not be as financially satisfied because they didn't want to disagree with you, right? Or or raise their concerns or that sort of thing.
1: Mm-hmm. No, I think you're absolutely right. And I think, you know, there's there's a lot of different, you know, when we think about personality, I mean, there's, there's kind of a direct effect of personality on people's outcomes, but that I think so often it's really the indirect effects that are actually there. So um, it could be something like, you know, not, not challenging a financial advisor when somebody should be challenging a financial advisor. I mean, that's, um, you know, if they don't agree with something and then they're you know, very likely to become dissatisfied with it, you know, because they, they never brought it up and had the conversation. Um, I, I think other in other domains of life as well, when you think of like uh, asking for a raise um, and negotiating in the workplace, like that's something where a certain level um, of disagreeableness is actually helpful because people who aren't you know, people who are really agreeable can actually really struggle to go um, and ask for what they feel like they deserve, and then that can lead to feelings of um, dissatisfaction because they're they're not getting what they feel like they deserve. So I think that agreeableness one it, it, to me is something that's you know very important for clients who maybe advisors can tell like, yeah, this, you know, my, my client is very agreeable. Um, you know, having some conversation either about that or just more in general about, you know, providing resources for how to negotiate, providing support, encouragement, um, that people go out and do that. And, you know, as an advisor, just even giving them, uh, making it very clear that it's okay to disagree with you or to express that they, they disagree to make the environment very open, um, to that, that sort of uh, conflict. And I say conflict in, a, in like a healthy sense, but um, I, I think for a lot of people just knowing like, yeah, it's, it's okay to challenge me. You don't have to nod your head yes and agree with everything that I'm saying in this meeting. If, if you think I've missed something, please let me know. Uh, asking your clients for that um, could really help those clients in my opinion.
0: So what, you know, you you sort of raised agreeableness as one of the big surprises, but were there any other kind of hidden gems or surprising findings within uh, the results?
1: No, I not so much. I I think the the agreeableness was the one that really caught my eye. When I, you know, when you look through our our other results, I think most of them were pretty, you know, standard for um, financial satisfaction research. Um, I think, you know, it's more the, perhaps the questions that it raises that uh, for future research that I think is interesting. So, okay, yes, we see you know, this on a cross-sectional basis, we see some relationship between um, personality and financial satisfaction. But I'm, I'm really curious, um, you know, when we look at longitudinal studies, when we look at, you know, how does, how does personality put people on different paths that they go out? in life and where that leads them. Um, you know, those are messier, harder questions to get at, but I think ultimately really important questions. And I think it's, it's relevant, not only you know, advisors in their own career. So we've, uh, through, uh, dot um, com, we've done various surveys of advisors and we've looked at things like personality traits. Um, and so understanding how advisor personality might lead them, um, in different directions and different areas of focus. Um, but then even from the client perspective, understanding how uh, personality is relevant to somebody's uh, uh, client's behaviors. And then also even just from an advisor knowing yourself and knowing um, what what clients perhaps you know want to see in an advisor or what what leads to success as an advisor, I think is important because um, something I've written about at kitsis.com as well, looking at something like Dress. Um, it's something I see a lot of, um, and I, I I'm as guilty of it as anybody. I don't love to go put on a suit. Um, a lot of my younger colleagues that I talk to at conferences and other places, they don't like to go put on a suit necessarily either. Um, but understanding, you know, what that's um, what what the perception about your personality is from that, and we see one of the reasons you know you look at the most conscientious. of areas military um various places like that and you see very crisp clean uniforms like that the attention to details is taken care of and you know when i think when somebody's trying to hire somebody to manage their life savings they want to see that like they they want to see that um you know details uh, attention to details paid and that that doesn't mean for everybody a suit is the right way to go if your uh, clientele is going to be put off by you wearing a suit like then yeah, be smart enough to not uh, not wear a suit in every environment, but um, you know, paying attention to the way our own uh, our sort of our real personality manifests in our um, our appearance to clients and what we're doing with clients, but then also the ways that we want to might want to make sure we're sending the right signals to clients, um, and maybe even fight our own personality a little bit um, are both very relevant to um, that. So it's it, it really. I think a lot of the most interesting implications are not so much the paper itself. I mean, it was hopefully we did a technically sound job and have introduced that, um, that concept, but it's more all these kind of related questions that it brings up and thinking about personality in this context and within different domains that is really of interest to me.
0: Sure. So, you know, you're, you're a practitioner today, I'm a practitioner today. Uh, people listening are practitioners or they're going to be practitioners soon. So what, what do we do with this research? How do we apply this with our clients today?
1: Yeah, this one, I mean, it, it's, it's a little bit tough. I mean, I think it it is more um, you know, if you're going to, if there's something from this one, it's probably the agreeableness um, dimension and just understanding, not even so much the findings, you know, from the study, but just even under appreciating um, the difficulties that can come for some people who are low in agreeableness or sorry, who aren't, well, if you're very disagreeable, um, that creates challenges. If you're very agreeable, um, that creates challenges as well. So, um, just understanding that and appreciating that, um, I think creating an environment where clients can feel comfortable, um, disagreeing with an advisor is good. I mean, that's, when I sit down with a client, I, I never want it to be, um, you know, a, a monologue, right? It's not just me talking at the client and um, we're not engaging. I really want it to be a dialogue. And that that means uh, me being comfortable with a client challenging me if they think something's wrong, if they think I, uh, maybe I misunderstood them. Uh, I thought their goal was one thing and it, it was something very different. I mean, that'd that be a good example of somebody who just was hesitant to speak up for themselves and, um, you know, say hey, wait, no, this this isn't what I actually want to achieve. Um, If they just go along with what their advisor is recommending and the advisor might just genuinely believe that's what the client wanted and they end up uh, working to solve the wrong thing or working towards the wrong goal. So um, I I think really that to me as a practitioner is the one piece of kind of appreciation from the study uh, to really, really latch onto and, and use and think about.
0: So just something that's come up as a recommendation or a thought from uh, some of your, your fellow research practitioners, and I'm, and I'm curious to get your perspective, but particularly amongst those who have a call it a psychology first background, uh, as opposed to a finance first background, the, the, one of the most common things I've heard is uh, to do a personality assessment with clients to to take them through uh, a big five survey or something like that. Do you think that that's practical or that's a good step or is that maybe sort of blurring the line between being somebody's planner and being their financial therapist or something like that?
1: I think it really depends on the the advisor and their firm and their client's expectations. I mean, I think for the right advisor who's comfortable doing that, who can find a way to explain to clients why that's something valuable for them to do. Um, absolutely. I think that's, uh, you know, there's potential value in doing that. And I think the more you get towards the kind of financial therapy side, I mean like that there's very clear, uh, probably clear implications in the financial therapy, um, area for, um, for applying some of that. But, you know, I, you, I do think you have to feel comfortable with that. If, if an advisor is not at all comfortable, presenting a client with a questionnaire like this or had no idea what they were going to do with the results, I think the response from clients could be very negative. Um, And I think we've even seen um, doing the, the Kitsis research, every time we do one of these surveys, we almost always have some kind of psychological construct in there. And, you know, these questions are asking people, you know, whether they might think of themselves as moody or, you know, like there's things that often some, somebody might read that and like, they don't want to say that or they, they feel like it's too probing or uh, why are we asking these questions about their emotions? And, um, we get some pushback from advisors and we, we try to explain like, you know, this, we're, we're not looking at your responses specifically. We just want to see if there's general patterns in, and, you know these are actual psychological constructs that have been developed for use in academic research. We're not just making stuff up, um, as we do this. But, um we get some pushback, so that sort of pushback I think for an advisor who's laying that on a client and totally out of the blue and the clients' not expecting that like that could be um, something I wouldn't necessarily recommend but if the if the advisor um you know I think another area in the industry, like a life planning type focus where the advisor's already having some of these deeper emotional conversations with clients and um, I think there's real potential to add value um, by by having a better understanding of your clients and how they work and how they might want to be communicated with and all those things that we can get from personality uh, that could add a lot of value. So I guess that's my my long-winded way of saying um, it really really depends on the context, but absolutely it can it can add value.
0: We, we would not be prof- uh, advice professionals if we didn't say it depends. <laughs> yeah. Well, Dr. Tharp, uh, thank you both for for your research and for being on the program today. Uh, it was really a pleasure to have you.
1: Well, thank you so much. And thanks for putting this podcast out there. I think it's great.
0: Thank you.